how do you ensure that you're ready to catch the next transformation wave that's coming? 5G has become real in 2020, and it's taking shape when you look at devices, networks, apps, clouds. Really, to be 5G ready, organizations need to look at their current technology state, then look at the G not just as a connectivity layer, but as an interconnected ecosystem that's going to let them really rethink how do they serve their end customers, how do they create new experiences for their employees, as well as ways to drive new forms of revenue and new ways of taking out costs. Welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I have the privilege of being joined in the studio by Mo Cadaver. Now, Mo is the Chief Marketing Officer for AT&T Business. Mo, thanks for joining us on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. And, and Des, as someone who's known you for a while, I got to tell you, I really love the radio voice. <laughs> it's my sexy voice. It's, it's uh, classy, very classy. I, uh, I appreciate that, Mo. Well, likewise. And, and indeed, we have known each other for quite some time. I was uh, privileged to do your uh, live stream and co-host it with you a couple of years ago at the AT&T Business Summit in Dallas. And uh, I had a great time catching up with you on camera uh, at last year's event. And thank you very much for that. So we get some great feedback. So again, thanks for making time to catch up with you. I think there's so many great things we could talk about, but I wanted to catch up today and talk about a couple of things that are really topical, uh, hot topics in the market, such as 5G and particularly the edge, and specifically, you know, how enterprises and service providers uh, can leverage this. You know, there's so much talk about it, but a lot of people are interested in how do we actually get started? How do we leverage it? So enterprise and service providers are always asking this whole challenge of how do we leverage it? So I thought we'd talk about 5G and edge computing, mixed reality, particularly augmented reality and virtual reality. And the many direct and indirect benefits that 5G is bringing throughout our lives. But before we dive into those and perhaps a, a conversation around what a day in the life of the Chief Marketing Officer of AT&T Business is like, I wonder if we could just do a little sideways uh, pivot and get a little insight to you personally, sort of a get-to-know Mo. Could you perhaps share uh, with our audience just a little bit of background of yourself, where you're from originally, where you grew up, some of your life story and your academic and career path and any fun little highlights uh, just to get to know you? Yeah, not a problem. So uh, I was actually born and raised in the UK. I know you can tell from my clearly British accent, um, <laughs> but uh, I was born in Swansea, raised in Cardiff, Wales, and then uh, moved to the US in the early 90s. And you know, I've lived here ever since and, and wandered around the United States. I uh, lived in lots of different cities and uh, have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I uh, got my undergraduate uh, in Oklahoma, and uh, believe it or not, I have three majors in international business, marketing, and the odd one out philosophy, which always, I think, surprises people and probably the reason why The Good Place is one of my favorite TV shows. I'm not surprised by philosophy, actually, because uh, having known you for a while and your general take on the world, uh, that all makes sense. I have a sneaking suspicion that you're also uh, a big photography fan, because every time we catch up, you uh, take uh, a higher than usual interest in my camera rigs. Uh, do you get out of bat and snap a few shots here and there and uh, just to sort of blow a bit of steam off? I do. You know, so, you know, think about hobbies. Uh, photography is clearly at the, the top of the list. And so I'm always interested to see what you're you're carting around. And I love photography. Um, my dad introduced it to me when you know I was uh, a lot younger and I got fascinated with it. And um, I'm always looking at, you know, what's the next coolest toy out there that does something interesting, you know, whether it's 360 or, or panos and quite gone into drone photography more recently, uh, primarily shoot with a Canon 5D4. Oh, wow. That is indeed a nice rig. 
And I guess it's very topical on that you're deploying devices out into everyone's hands that have amazing cameras in them now on a daily basis. So uh, it makes sense you've got great judges. And I have it on good authority that you're also a bit of a guitar uh, uh, hacker. I, I suspect you're probably better than I am, but uh, I, I grab my guitar and, and punish it for a while. But I hear you're a bit of a music buff. I, I do like music. So I had the good fortune of you know, growing up around a, a massive and differentiated number of, you know, bands and musical styles. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I think the, the Beatles were my first real love that made me think about music in a different way, you know, with, uh, invoking emotion, if you will. You know, from there, I got into, you know, writing for newspapers and reviewing uh, records and CDs and then going out to live shows. And frankly, I've lost count of the number of shows I've been out to, but it's, you know, in the high hundreds, if not, you know, low thousands of shows over the course of my life. And, you know, now having two younger kids, I'm very, very proud of the the number of shows that I take them out to. And, and they're excited about going and seeing some next band. And uh, it's cool to be able to pass that along to your kids and see them grow their own musical interests. And by the way, you know, with things like, you know, Apple and Google and Spotify and, you know, having the entire world's history of music at your fingertips, it's just cool to watch them, you know, get into a band and then go look at related bands and history of and work their way through decades. My nine-year-old son is like really into David Bowie and Queen and the Beatles. And I'm like, how did you find out about David Bowie? You know, and so he tells me about his musical journey. It's it's a really cool thing to witness. It is indeed. Yeah, I can imagine you've got a pretty eclectic music taste and a range of things. Uh, that tends to be the case with high achievers. But uh, I'm with you. I love watching my kids. Uh, I think your kids are younger, about what five and nine from memory. But uh, mine are now late teens, fifteen and eighteen. And uh, I love when they discover old bands like you know U2 and Pink Floyd. And I just watch them as if like they just discovered the moon. It's pretty cool. What I'd love to do, if we can, is maybe you also just uh, flip the coin now and sort of, you know, when we think about chief marketing officer, the role itself is relatively well known. But I think when I look at the broad uh, remit that you have, particularly with a lot of product focus, it's a fairly unique version of what a CMO role would be. I wonder if you could just give us a run through on what you know, a day in the life of Mo Cadaver, a CMO of AT&T Business, currently entails. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what's interesting is I actually think about my role as being the historic version of the chief marketing officer. So for a long time, CMOs had, you know, what's known as the four P's, product, price, promotion, place. And, you know, more recently, probably, you know, the last 10 plus years, CMO has evolved in the market to being a lot more focused on kind of the brand side of the equation, advertising, et cetera. And if you look at the last you know, 12 to 18 months, I've lost track of the number of articles that I've read around the death of the CMO title and the rise of chief growth officer and chief revenue officer and chief whatever officer. And really, you know, I think at the heart of it, it comes back to being responsible for broader outcomes of the business. And is the efficacy of your marketing, your branding, your advertising mapping back to something that is truly measurable, also known as the P&L of your, your overall business. And that's why, you know, I got to tell you, I, I thoroughly love my job. It is a truly unique and amazing jigsaw puzzle that I get to be a part of every day with what I believe and know is the best team in the industry. It really spans our products, 
who have the chief product officer at AT&T Business works for me, and we say grace over all of our wireline solutions from connectivity, voice solutions, SD-WAN, Edge, Cloud, et cetera, as well as our mobility solutions, which includes everything from our core mobility products you know, that run on smartphones that a lot of people are familiar with, as well as our Internet of Things, IoT solutions, and now, of course, 5G and edge computing as well. That is fascinating because we really get to think through capital, feature functionality. We get to talk to a lot of our business customers about what are they looking for and making sure that we're steering the product roadmap in a way that meets their needs. But then also I have the price functions on how we price things that we bring to market, as well as all the traditional branding, marketing, advertising across TV, print, radio, digital, et cetera. And all of our digital platforms and assets um, are part of my purview as well. So it's, it's a really incredible role that makes you think more broadly around what are business customers looking for and how do you bring those products and solutions to life in a way where one, they're aware of them, two, they see the value in what you're bringing, and then obviously that they, they want to buy them as well. And there's no shortage of accountability. You know, Every single week, every single month, we're sitting down and looking at what we're doing across the organization and how is it driving both our top line revenue as well as profit, the EBITDA of our business and what we're giving back to our shareholders. You mentioned 5G and edge computing, and that's a topic I'd really love to delve into. There's such hot topics around the world, and it's coming up every day in boardrooms uh, around the world now. Uh, I wonder if we can dive into the whole topic of 5G and edge computing, but but maybe let's just start with where AT&T is with regard to its deployment of 5G at first. I wonder if you can just give us a summary of where we're at with that. For your listeners, I think that something that's incredibly important to start with is there's two flavors of 5G. And let me bring you know both of those to life for you. So the first one is what we call 5G in terms of how we market it out in the industry. Think of that as using what we call sub six gigahertz spectrum. So this is the same spectrum. It's the same radio waves, if you will, the power your smartphone experience today and that we're using for 4G LTE. So what's incredible about this spectrum is that it goes really far, it propagates, it penetrates walls, it goes into buildings, and it's at the foundation of what people love around their smartphone experience today. There's another flavor that's called 5G+. So 5G+, uses millimeter wave spectrum. It brings to life the characteristics that a lot of people equate with 5G, meaning incredibly high speeds, one gig plus incredibly responsive. You know, another way of saying ultra low latency, meaning how long does the network take to respond to a command that you're giving it like, hey, play this next song for me or go run a video off of YouTube, what have you. How long does that take? In a 5G world, you go from about 100 to 150 milliseconds that you're experiencing today to under 20 milliseconds or even under 10 milliseconds in certain scenarios. And that becomes truly foundational to the way that our society is going to shift going forward and the new experiences, application experiences that are going to come to life. Because under 10 milliseconds is effectively equivalent to the way our brains process reality. So once the network gets as fast as your brain can process reality, you can think that innovators and businesses can bring entirely new experiences to market. And then the third benefit is massive connectivity. 
So in a Wi-Fi world, like, you know, many of us, you know, maybe listening to this podcast in a, a business environment or at home and Wi-Fi allows you to connect 250 things per access point. 4G LTE allows you to connect in the thousands of things. And then 5G gets into the millions of things connected. When you bring all of these things together, the high speed, the ultra low latency, and the ability to materially connect a higher number of devices, then you can imagine that you can start doing some really, really interesting things. In terms of 5G, we've deployed in over 35 markets at the time of this taping, covering over 60 million people across the United States. And we said by mid-year 2020, we're going to be deployed nationwide. And in 5G+, Plus, we've deployed that in over 30 markets as well. And we've really started deploying that initially and primarily for businesses and enterprises. And this goes back to the propagation characteristics that we were talking about a little bit ago, which is it doesn't carry very far, unlike sub six, but it's perfect for places like venues, stadiums, big box retail, manufacturing, hospitals, etc. That's really why we're so excited about what 5G can do for the enterprise space, as well as for businesses that want to bring new experiences to life for their end consumers. So in the context of what you're just telling us there, particularly around 5G and 5G+, I mean, this seems to be quite a significant differentiator in the marketplace. In 2019, there was a lot of communication coming out of AT&T with regard to having a business-first approach, particularly for 5G. Has that changed in 2020? Being the CMO of AT&T Business, my priority and where my initial focus is, is always going to be around business customers. I have good friends that run the consumer side of AT&T, and they're absolutely focused on ensuring that AT&T has a balanced approach. And to your point, you know, 2020 is really the year where 5G will become real for consumers. I mentioned a little bit ago that our 5G networks are going to be nationwide by mid-year. It's no surprise that the networks are becoming mature at the same time that more and more 5G devices are going to be coming to market. So we've already publicly said that by the end of this year, we're going to have 15 5G devices that are available. And just recently, I'm sure a lot of your listeners were tuning in on this one. Samsung announced three new 5G devices as part of their S20 lineup, and those are going to be coming to market very soon. I'm excited to get my hands on those. I wonder if you can give us a few examples of some of the specific use cases or environments. There's a whole bunch around what you're doing in hospitals and connected ambulances. You've got some great stuff in stadiums. As you said, you've rolled out a number of, of citywide deployments. What are some of the other examples of some of the success stories you've had in this space? I have so many examples I'd love to share with you. So, you know, we'll, we'll, let's work our way through some of those. I'm going to bring it back for a second and say, when we talk about 5G, it's not just about smartphones, right? So obviously, coverage matters. Um, everyone loves their smartphone. You know, 4G LTE ushered in kind of the smartphone and application era as we know it. And, you know, I remember those dark, dark days before rideshare applications, and I never want to go back. But as you think about 5G and the three things that I brought to life, right, which is speed, latency, and massive device connectivity, then you start to unleash your mind around the potential of creating entirely new experiences that are not necessarily tied to just smartphones. And again, when you think about your everyday life, right, whether it's, you know, this device that we're recording this podcast over or the 
breakfast foods that you had this morning or the shoes that you put on for your 4.30 a.m. run that you took, Des. Businesses define and create the ecosystem that impacts every single parts of our life. One of the examples that I'm really excited about from the 5G perspective is around what I call you know, the business to business to consumer environments and really around venues and stadiums and sports and entertainment businesses and how they can drive and create entirely new fan experiences. So I think my favorite one today is what we did with AT&T Stadium just down the road outside of Dallas, Texas, Arlington, where the Dallas Cowboys play. And at the beginning of the 1920 season, the Cowboys came to us really wanting to understand how could they use 5G to create a really cool new fan experience, giving people a reason to not just watch the game at home, but to come out to the stadium. And so we created four new experiences which use AR, VR, and bring together the best of the physical and the digital worlds. And I'll tell you about just a couple of those. The first one, uh, which is my favorite, by the way, is called Hall of Heroes. Think about this as giving fans the opportunity to practice their touchdown dance next to Amiri Cooper or one of their other favorite Dallas Cowboy players in high-quality 3D volumetric video. So the way it works is you pick your favorite player, you have a friend that holds up a 5G-enabled phone, they point it at a section of the stadium, you go stand there, you do a dance, Amiri shows up next to you, and suddenly you're interacting. I mean, it was literally like they were standing next to you. It was absolutely amazing. And it really gave me so many more ideas around how this technology called volumetric video capture can be used to create amazing fan experiences. And then the second experience that I'll tell you about is called Pose with the Pros. And this one has blown up all over social. There was a Twitter video, 12 million views after the first home game that the Cowboys had. And this one, think of it as a massive digital display with built-in cameras pointing at you. You stand in front of it like it's a magic mirror. You can pick up to five of your favorite players. They crowd around you. You stand in the middle. It takes a photo of you, and then you can text it to yourself. You can share it on your favorite social media. And again, it just gives you all sorts of ideas of, in theme parks, could you use this sort of experience with your favorite characters? Or you could use it at movie openings, at cinemas and theaters, where you're standing next to the star of whatever blockbuster you're at the cinema to see. You know, I always think about, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, we had those little photo booths. It would go and sit in and, you know, crowd in there with your friends or a loved one. And uh, it would take three or four photos of you and it would print out at the bottom and it'd be your memento. This is the 2020 variant of that photo booth. And it creates an entirely new digital, physical and digital reality around you. And we're going to see this thing blow up in the next year or two. Oh, I love the fact that you've met the uh, digital natives in their own world. Beyond the consumer space, I wonder if there's any other examples you mentioned. You've got a long list of them. Are there any other examples sort of beyond the consumer space you can share? Yeah, let me give you an example of one that's not a traditional business. It's uh, Tyndall Air Force Base in Florida. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people think of Air Force bases and then immediately jump to 5G. But I've got to tell you a story of what happened there. A couple of years ago, back in 2018, there was a hurricane called Hurricane Michael, and it came ripping across Florida, across the panhandle. And Tyndall Air Force Base was directly in its path, located just about a dozen miles outside of Panama City. And I got to tell you, the base was devastated. 
Again, there's some photos of this you can find online. But you can imagine jets were literally flipped on their backs. The roofs were ripped off of buildings. The damage was classified as catastrophic. Uh, the base's facilities were actually deemed to be unlivable for the nearly 3,000 residents. And what I love about the leadership of Tyndall was they didn't look back for a second. They saw this as a major opportunity to create a center of excellence for innovation and think through the future of warfare and how their residents might be living there. So AT&T, you can imagine, is incredibly proud to become part of this innovation. Just a few months ago, late last year, we announced that we're going to help them create the smart base of the future, and we're going to be lighting up 5G service there by mid-year. So think about this as 5G helping completely modernize the communications infrastructure, the capabilities across Tyndall. We're going to be providing future-forward networking capabilities that are going to support augmented and virtual realities, IoT, broad array of innovative things that they want to do. And again, really thinking through the military that lives there, and as part of their training, how can 5G be used to drive an even higher efficacy of training for their folks? Couldn't be more excited to see this one come to life. Now, I imagine that's one of the many benefits of having AT&T and AT&T Business as a partner in these spaces that you can think outside the box, and in this case, tragic uh, scenario, but you've been able to phoenix it and create something new and innovative. We've talked a lot about 5G and broad strokes. There's been a lot of messaging and, and discussion around the topic of edge computing, and you've had a lot of announcements uh, beyond 5G. It's almost a case that it seems like everything to do with 5G has a mention of edge computing now. I wonder if you could just maybe uh, give us an idea of why that is and why it's become such a hot topic. Yeah, absolutely. So if you dial back about a year, we actually put out our press release around our 5G strategy for businesses, and we said, Look, there are three pillars of 5G the business customers are absolutely going to be interested in. One is mobile 5G, using 5G as part of our smartphone ecosystem, our tablets, our laptops, IoT, etc. The second one is fixed 5G, which is using our cellular networks to deliver the equivalent of fixed circuits to help power up business locations, whether that's for primary connectivity, imagine a business that might be outside of the Grand Canyon, quick service restaurant, it's incredibly difficult to get fiber or copper facilities to that location. How can you use 5G to deliver a fixed circuit? Or for backup reasons, in an SD-WAN world, a lot of businesses are interested in how do I use both fixed or terrestrial services coupled with a cellular-delivered solution and software-defined WAN solutions to stitch those things together. So if anything ever happens to my fixed link, then I fail over to my cellular link and can steer application traffic back and forth between the two, depending on the priority of point of sale, digital signage, you know, whatever they're using to run their business. And then the third one, to your point, is edge computing. And the reason for that is when you think about mobile 5G, and edge compute, those two are always going to go hand in hand. I wonder if you could outline just why that is, and particularly in your world. I mean, uh, again, you know, I think a lot of people understand these technologies and concepts, but I'd love you to delve into specifically why they would go hand in hand. Yeah. So when you think about edge computing, you know, first, just to quickly level set, it's really about putting the cloud or the processing power of the compute close to where it's needed, right? So uh, I'm in Dallas. 
you're in Sydney, you might have a friend that's in New York City or Washington, D.C. or L.A. Today in the U.S., the preponderance of the cloud compute infrastructure is either on the East Coast or the West Coast. So when you go back to that latency conversation that we were having, that's what drives that 100 to 150 milliseconds round trip to start your song, to start your video, to load your web page. It's because cloud is just someone else's computer sitting hundreds or thousands of miles away from you. Edge compute is about bringing that cloud and that compute back to the major metros, which then coupled with 5G is what drives that latency down from 100 plus milliseconds down to 20 milliseconds or less, or 10 milliseconds or less going forward. And this becomes incredibly important as you think about the new sorts of use cases that businesses are interested in. Let's talk about retail and you know magic mirrors as an example. We're currently in the middle of discussions with a major retailer who's interested in bringing these technologies into hundreds or thousands of their stores around the United States. But it's quite expensive for them to build compute stacks at every one of those locations. So with a network edge compute variant, they can outsource, if you will, a lot of that compute processing into the Dallas area, into the Sydney area, while getting latency down low enough where it's virtually indistinguishable from reality when their customer is standing in front of this magic mirror and swiping left or right and trying on different jackets or blouses or skirts or pants or shoes and accessories, et cetera. You want that latency experience to be so close to zero where they can't discern a difference as they swipe left and right. That is why edge compute matters. And it's going to be a foundational part of how our society is transformed over the course of this next decade. When I see a lot of the communication coming out of AT&T, I, I see a couple of different variants. And in one part, there's multi-access edge compute, or MEC, as you call yeah. it. But I see a second reference with regard to uh, edge computing. I wonder if you could maybe just uh, give us an outline of what that means in your world. To your point, we're talking about two flavors of edge compute right now. One is network edge compute that we just talked about a little bit ago. Think about that as bringing your favorite cloud instance and developer ecosystem into major metros around the United States, and then I'm sure broadly over time around the world. The second flavor is bringing a local cloud instance to the premise or the business environment. As an example, we've announced with Rush Hospital in Chicago, the deployment of 5G inside their hospital as well as multi-axis edge compute or prem-based edge compute at their physical location. And the reason why a lot of businesses are interested in a premise-based variant boils down to one latency. So we've talked about, you know, metro areas kind of get down to 20 milliseconds and less. Prem can get you down uh, as low as five milliseconds, okay, which is just staggering. So if you're talking about use cases that need latency at that level, which you can imagine in medical, in manufacturing, where you're doing defect management, uh, inspection, near real time, you want to shut down your production line if there's an issue, you're trying to get that milliseconds down as low as possible because it means dollars of savings or lives, right, if you're in healthcare. The second reason that people are interested in premise-based or multi-axis edge compute is because of security. So one of the amazing benefits of multi-axis edge compute is that it allows the administrator of a given business to decide what application-level traffic 
is kept at the private versus what application level traffic is steered back to the World Wide Web. So let's talk about a manufacturing facility for a moment. Imagine you're in a factory and you're building airplanes. And uh, as part of your defect management process, you have a gap analysis tool that's looking at the gaps that are between the joints or the panels of your airplane. You want to keep that traffic on-prem for security reasons. You don't want that traffic moving out to the World Wide Web. Mech allows you to do that versus when uh, the same person who's doing uh, that analysis is taking a break and they're listening to music or uh, reading the news on their smartphone, that traffic can be steered back out uh, to the, their favorite server that may be hundreds or thousands of miles away. So this is really why there's two variants and quite different use cases that can be used for each one. I can't wait to see some of the use cases that uh, people imagine. As you mentioned before, we, we hadn't imagined ride sharing, but now that it's here, we can't imagine life without it. We've seen a number of announcements of late of, of interest in this space, particularly uh, your network edge computing announcement with Microsoft. We've seen you announce some news recently with HPE and a whole range of things around this uh, multi-access edge computing uh, space, and particularly with some exciting deals that have come out. I wonder if you can give us a, a bit of a view on who's going to win in this whole edge computing race. Yeah, Des, at the end of the day, I think the business customer is going to win, and that's a good thing. Uh, as I mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation, um, having the product portfolio as part of my purview allows me to talk to a lot of different business customers from your favorite local neighborhood stores up to the largest enterprises on earth. And we're listening to all of them about the use cases that they're interested in, as well as the ecosystem partners that they want us to be working with. This is why you've seen us make announcements with Microsoft and bringing the Azure stack uh, to the network edge compute facilities that we're standing up around the United States. This is why we've made announcements with HPE, because a lot of our business customers want to be able to use HPE hardware as part of their multi-access edge compute environments. And the net here is business customers have preferences. We're going to listen to them. It's going to take an ecosystem of providers and companies working together to truly bring 5G and edge compute to life. And uh, that's what we're embracing. I love the phrase that people use that says it, it takes a village to raise a child. And I think when we think about some of these yeah. uh, new emerging technologies, I, I look at it from the same point of view that no one organization is going to be able to do this too big. This brings me to another topic I wanted to talk about, which is the whole challenge of mixed reality. Because when you mentioned use cases here, one of the ones that jumps out at me is, and, and, and I'm reminded of Pokemon Go when, you know, I think the game industry got a bit of a wake-up call when there was a lot of sunk costs being invested in handsets and controllers and screens and game units. And then somebody came along and just said, you know, we'll get rid of the handset. We'll use smartphones. We'll get rid of the game space and the control and the actual box. We'll just use the world. And, you know, we, we woke up one day and our kids ran us around in circles and uh, I probably lost about five kilos that month looking for Pokemon Go's. But when I think about mixed reality with augmented reality and virtual reality from a business sense, uh, I, I get really excited about everything from training all the way through to safety and, and health and education. Um, what can you tell us about what's happening in this space in your world? Well, building on the Pokemon Go, I'm looking forward to Minecraft Earth launching because my son's been harassing me about when's it going to be available and can I please call Microsoft and ask. So ready <laughs> for that one on the, uh, the consumer side. From a business perspective, I'll tell you the use cases that we're seeing come to life are incredible. And, and so I'll just give you a couple of quick examples. Um, the first one is we announced with VTOS, 
who's the leading hospice provider in the United States, a trial around how we could use 5G and AR, VR in hospice patients. And, w- and when you think about hospice, this is end of life care. It's an incredibly human moment that all of us will contend with, with you know, either ourselves or our loved ones as, as we get older. And VITAS was really interested in, was there a way of using this technology as part of pain mitigation? And currently, opioids is what's used as the primary way of enabling comfort for you know, patients that are in hospice. And the results have been incredible. Um, I was actually recently with their CIO and EVP asking him about how the trial was going. And he was telling me every month they're seeing more and more amazing use cases, AR, VR, and giving customers the ability to go on virtual trips, like go see the Eiffel Tower. He was telling me about one where a patient went and saw Machu Picchu for the first time. And five or 10 minutes, this sort of VR-enabled therapy was leading to results that were even better than opioids, better night's sleep better number of hours of pain mitigation. And it just really blew my mind of how technology can be used for good for these sorts of scenarios. The second example I'll give you is with Samsung Austin Semiconductor, which goes back to the upskilling and and training area that you asked about, which is the turnover in manufacturing can be as high as 20% per year. So that's kind of like one in five people that you've got to bring in you every year and train. And this is both on the installation and repair of you know, hundreds of different pieces of equipment. And so they wanted to build guided workflow using AR and 5G, where one of their workers could look at a piece of equipment and in the air in front of them would hover the instructions of what they needed to do as part of their installation and repair task. So you can imagine that in terms of the efficacy and the effectiveness of each employee and training them faster, this can be a huge help. But my favorite part, was if they ever got stuck or the guided workflow failed them, if you will, it was something more complex arose, they had the ability to hit a button and the video camera in the AR headset would suddenly turn on and call up Bob or Jane, who could be on the other side of the facility or the other side of the country. And then Bob or Jane could now see what the worker would be seeing on the floor of the plant and help guide them. So this gives rise to really a changing thinking around what work can look like in the future and how do you have your best trainers, some of your best employees concentrated together in a location with the ability to help hundreds or thousands of your employees that might be out in the field or across your plants or factories across the country. AR, VR will enable this. Augmented reality in particular is going to be such a game changer. I love the idea that uh, your son wants you to reach out to Notch or uh, Marcus Pearson, as it were, the uh, founder of, uh, of Minecraft and demand early access. One of the things that keeps coming up with this is the question of what enterprises should be doing, uh, all size enterprises, what should they be doing to ensure that they're 5G ready? And as you roll out your at and uh, 5G environment uh, through 2020 and beyond, I wonder if you can give some advice as to what enterprises of all sizes and shapes should be doing to just be ready for it and prepare for it. It's a great question, you know, and it really goes back to how do you ensure that you're ready to catch the next transformation wave that's coming? You know, I would tell you 5G has become real in 2020, and it's taking shape when you look at devices, networks, apps, clouds. And really, to be 5G ready, organizations need to first look at their current technology state, then look at the G not just as a connectivity layer, but as an interconnected ecosystem that's going to let them really rethink 
their operating model of how do they serve their end customers, how do they create new experiences for their employees, as well as ways to drive new forms of revenue and new ways of taking out cost to improve their bottom line. The one piece of solid feedback I'd give is if you're not doing 5G trials or proof of concepts, you should be. How can you use this technology to fundamentally transform your business? You don't need to go all in. Many businesses have a lab or a place where they're trying new things. Are you weaving in this technology as another piece of the equation for you to learn and start thinking through one, two, three years out how you're going to be using it to foundationally transform? So, Mo, I wonder if we can now uh, jump to one of the broader topics I wanted to cover, which is the many direct and indirect benefits that 5G brings to our lives in whole. It seems to me that there's a huge foundational capability being made possible by 5G focused around people, our lives, our livelihood, our well-being, from fundamentally improving our lives and keeping us safer and healthier through to the sorts of things you're talking about, like more immersive entertainment, smarter retail solutions, essentially just using technology to make people's lives better. Are organizations taking advantage of this? And if so, how? Are there any standard examples you can give us at the moment? I'm a technology optimist. And especially, I'm an optimist when you think about 5G and these accompanying technologies like edge compute and IoT and, and even AI that we've been talking about. I fundamentally believe that they will change the way that we work and play. And I'll give you an example. You know, we've, we've talked about our, our kids a couple of times in this. My son recently turned nine and, you know, he's getting quite brave in terms of he wants to take his bicycle out and go to the park by himself and, you know, go to his friend's house in the neighborhood. And he knew his dad grew up in this mythical time called the 80s where, you know, we would do that sort of thing. And so he's ready to go do it. And, you know, I'll tell you, being a parent, I'm quite nervous about it. I don't want him going out on his bike, but I want to give him this sense of independence. So what I've been doing is I've been handing him a little IoT tracker. If one inch by one inch, he puts it in his pocket and I show him how I'm able to track him and on my smartphone and where he goes. And then I go stand outside and, you know, he ventures a block further, a block further each time we do this. We're already working with bicycle companies on enabling the bike itself to be a smart, connected IoT device. This is coming. As you think back to this massive connectivity capability of 5G that we've talked about, I'm reminded that there is a time, and it's coming shortly, where all things in our lives will be interconnected. His bicycle is going to be connected. The stoplights and the red, amber, and green lights, right, that all of us are familiar with will be connected. Our vehicles are shifting towards autonomous, and you don't necessarily need connectivity for them to be autonomous. LiDAR is doing a great job of that. But you certainly want them to be connected so that they can talk to the stoplight and your kid's bicycle. And this is where the interconnectedness of all things will change the way we live. You will be more comfortable with our kids going out on their bicycles. I'm confident that these bicycles are going to start weaving in the ability to do cool formations and tricks where all the neighborhood kids get together and you put on Queen's bicycle and they do some sort of crazy formation together and Everyone will take videos of it on their smartphones and put it on their favorite social media. All of the small things in our lives and how they're foundationally going to change. And, you know, and technology is this insidious thing. It kind of creeps up on you. You're gonna, Des, you're going to wake up two, three years from now, and uh, all of this will be BAU, and you're going to be trying to figure out 
how did you ever live without it? Kind of like, how did you ever live without rideshare? And it'll have crept up on you. It's really cool. Indeed, I equate it to, uh, I guess, my experience with the internet now, and that is that uh, once upon a time, you know, we'd have to do the old doing-doing dial-up on a modem. Now it's just ubiquitously everywhere. It's kind of like oxygen, and that is I expect the internet to be everywhere, whether it's uh, via Wi-Fi or wireless. I wonder if I could ask you one final wrap-up uh, question then. Uh, Mo, if I was to hand you a virtual crystal ball and ask you to uh, gaze upon it for a moment, what are some of the big things that you see coming over the horizon? I mean, you're very uniquely positioned with both your role and, and personally your own experience in business and technology. What are some of the topics that people should be talking about now to prepare for them and gear up for them, uh, both in their lives individually, but more specifically, I guess, business? Well, you know, I'm going to start with, you know, crystal ball thinking three, five, seven years out. The single largest trend from my perspective, is going to be glass. Lots and lots of pieces of glass in your home, in your office, that are going to serve a multitude of purposes. Glass that turns into your TV, glass that is your computer, glass that is your mirror, your video phone, your personal assistant, your music player. You're not going to have to buy these individual pieces of technology, just like the smartphone replaced many cameras, calculators, alarm clocks, etc. There will be configurable pieces of glass that will dominate our lives and will be our window into uh, everything you could ever possibly want to see and do. And then tied to that, and it's interesting to me because I'm actually hearing the smartphone OEMs starting to talk about this, but the smartphone's days are numbered. You Maybe that's a little bit further out on the horizon. As more and more network edge compute gets deployed, 5G becomes ubiquitous, latency drops, the compute aspect that sits on our smartphones today will shift into the cloud and we will move to a world of having small pieces of glass that sit in our pocket and essentially do everything that our smartphones do today. I think these are very exciting times and I, I wouldn't want to be alive in any other time because I, I think about where we've come from and where we're going to. Mo, I think you're taking us on a very, very exciting journey in what you're doing in your role as CMO of AT&T Business and leading the team across AT&T Business to deploy and build these things. And uh, it's been an amazing hour to catch up with you. I always love catching up with you. You've got so many exciting things to share. And I love the background and detail on what you're doing around the business and some of the opportunities people can use to leverage this technology rolling out, but also your future vision. I think uh, you've given us a, a, a bit of a lens on some very exciting stuff over the horizon. Thanks, Des. It was great spending time with you and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon.